No, but I collect so many clothes, and I was going to bring some this morning and use the racks that Stephanie had last week, but there were just too many. There's just too many to bring. I don't know why I do this, and I only probably wear like 30% of what's in my closet, and not even all my clothes are in my closet. They're in my drawers and in boxes and on the floor. Um, I'm a clothes hoarder. I think, oh, I'll wear that at some point. I'm sure of it. But truth is, a lot of those clothes just sit there and haven't been touched in maybe two, three, okay, five years. Um, And some of them probably don't even fit me anymore. I don't know why I keep them, but some of them are hand-me-downs. My mom and I like to go thrift store shopping, so I have just so many clothes that I collect throughout the years. Um, But enough confession. You already know too much about me. Um, One, that I am single. Thank you, Sai. But truth is, we all like to keep some things for ourselves. We won't give them up for anything, right? Um, And for the people of Israel, hoarding was kind of their MO. I mean, they might not have realized it. uh, But then someone came along and called them out on their hoarding tendencies. And if you've ever seen the show, you know that the people who get called out and who want help don't actually want the help. They get angry and they get mad. They're like, you can't take that. Those are mine. Um, So someone comes and calls Israel out on their tendencies. And what was their reaction? Well, we'll be reading in the Gospel of Luke this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter 4. And I really like Luke's Gospel for several reasons, but one of them is the shameless calling out of injustice. I mean, Luke pays particular attention to this topic of social justice, of serving the poor. Um, He spends a lot of time on that. And, And that's why I love it. However, I also hate it a little for the same reason because it forces me to check myself, to reflect on my heart and my spirit, and to ask the question, am I allowing the Holy Spirit to shape me into the person of Jesus? Or am I trying to shape Jesus into the person of me? I will warn you now, what God has put on my heart to share with you this morning isn't warm fuzzies and rainbows. It's a hard word, but it's a good one. So please don't throw me off a cliff. In Luke 4, we have a fascinating scene. Imagine Jesus, Joseph's son, former quarterback of the Nazareth High School Camels, straight-A student who graduated with high honors. He even has a scroll on his wall to prove it. Thank you. Is making a circle back to Nazareth, his hometown, to get up and share in front of the community who raised him. Word about Jesus has spread from city to city, all around Nazareth and exciting things about him healing people and doing amazing things. He was reading scripture and teaching in the synagogues across the land, not just here in Nazareth. He was even seen being baptized and the Holy Spirit literally came upon him in the form of a dove. He is bound to do great things, they thought. That's our boy, they shouted. Would you follow along with me in Luke 4, starting in verse 16? When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." 
And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? I'm going to pause right there for a moment. Things are going well, right? Jesus' home community seems to be thrilled at what he has to say. They're excited that he's back and teaching. I sense they have a lot of pride in this person of Jesus who they raised. Maybe they would even get a shout out at Jesus' next big event. But the people are on the edge of their seats, kind of like you are now with my preaching, yeah? They're just waiting to hear what Joseph would, I mean, Jesus would have to say. They're waiting for him to say something epic. You see, it's typical practice in the synagogues that someone in the community would get up, take the scroll, read a passage, and then give some kind of teaching, sort of like I'm doing now. And the people probably didn't even think much about the scripture that was being read. They were just anxious to hear what Jesus would say next. So let's continue at verse 23. He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we've heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine in all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There, was, there were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. That escalated quickly. Think hometown hero meets the Hunger Games. Things go from wonderful to horrible to fatal in five minutes or less. Sounds kind of like a really bad soap opera. I'm sorry if you watch soap operas. But you know, like there's a main character and they fall in love, but they, under, they realize that this person doesn't love them back. So in the next scene, they plot to have that person killed. Like, I'm just praying you guys don't throw me off of a cliff at the end of the sermon. And you might be thinking, like me, what in the world happened? What did the people get? Why did they get so mad at Jesus? What was, was it his demeanor? Did he say something rude? Why did the people go from amazement to rage in less than 60 seconds? I mean, last week, Stephanie told us of a crowd that was moved to tears at the reading of Scripture. This week, our crowd reacts in rage. What happened? I'm going to back up, and I'm going to read uh, the part where Jesus read the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So when the Israelites, God's chosen people, were sitting here in the synagogue listening to the scripture, their automatic response was probably 
to think that it was for them. Like they, Jesus had a good word for them. The good news is for us, they thought. We are given freedom from captivity. We are the oppressed who need saving. The Lord's favor is for us. After all, this is our synagogue, and these are our scrolls. We are God's chosen ones. His word is for us. And I don't know if I can really blame them. I mean, they've been doing this for years, every Sunday, going, showing up at church to hear this good word. I mean, we come to church to hear the good news for our lives, right? That's why you guys came this morning. Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene is where you choose to come to hear scripture read and sermons preached. You come to receive the good news. But what is the good news you came to hear today? And we'll come back to that question. You see, before the rage part, Jesus is on the crowd's good side. He reads this Isaiah passage, and they think, oh, this is, this is nice. Jesus is still on the crowd's good side. He reads Isaiah, and the crowd is wide-eyed and anxious for their homeboy Jesus to teach a feel-good lesson. But I think Jesus kind of gets a sense of what's happening. Uh-oh, he thinks. They're not getting it. Well, here goes nothing. And that's when he drops that bomb. The one that says, Israel, you have been hoarding God's blessing all to yourself. Do you realize how sinful that is? I imagine the people sitting in the crowd furling their eyebrows, some with anger, some with confusion. Who is this Jesus to tell us that the way we've done things is wrong? So what happens next? Verse 28, when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off a cliff. I mean, they didn't even settle for a simple push. They wanted to hurl Jesus off the cliff. They were mad. I think of the queen from Alice in Wonderland who at the, a simple sneeze in the crowd, she says, off with their head. That was very appropriate. Thank you. We didn't plan that. But these were the people Jesus grew up with. A lot of these people probably changed his diapers and wiped his boogery nose when he was a kid. They walked him to the synagogue and taught him to read scripture. And now they want to throw him off a cliff? I want us to go back to this topic of hoarding for a moment. I found this article um, by the Mayo Clinic about some of the tendencies seen in hoarding cases, and we'll have them up on the screen in just a second. Um, but I want you to listen to these. First, people who hoard, they excessively acquire items that are not needed or for which there's no space. Persistent difficulty throwing out or parting with your things, regardless of their actual value, feeling a need to save these things, and being upset by the thought of discarding or giving them away, building up of clutter to the point where rooms become unusable, having a tendency toward indecisiveness, perfectionism, avoidance, and procrastination. And last, my personal favorite, conflict with others who try to reduce or remove clutter from your home. You're probably thinking, Val, what on earth are you talking about? What does hoarding have to do with this sermon? Who asked this girl to preach? <laughs> but I'm going to read those points one more time. But this time, I want you to imagine something with me. And I, I stole this analogy from someone, so don't give me credit. But I want you to imagine that the place where things are being collected 
is your heart. Imagine your heart is a home and there's actual rooms in there. And I'm going to read these points again. Excessively acquiring items that are not needed or for which there's no space. Persistent difficulty throwing out or parting with your things regardless of their actual value. Feeling a need to save these things and being upset by the thought of discarding or giving them away. Building up of clutter to the point where rooms become unusable. Having a tendency toward indecisiveness, perfectionism, avoidance, and procrastination. Conflict with others who try to reduce or remove clutter from your home. We're all creatures of habit, aren't we? I know I am. I struggle to give up the things that make me comfortable, the things that are familiar to me. Even if it means keeping those things will hurt others. And this is where my hate part of my love-hate relationship with Luke comes in. I think, Luke, why do you have to call me out on my shortcomings? Or more so, Jesus, why do you have to call me out on my shortcomings? Why can't you just leave me to keep collecting my clothes and keep them for myself? Like the Israelites, we try to keep God's blessing to ourselves. It's comfortable. It's familiar. Many of us come to church expecting to be comfortable, right? Expecting to be familiar with the people and the sermons and everything else. It's, that's not all bad, but in some way, it's a symptom of our consumer culture. This tendency to consume, 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 and to expect, to come to church expecting to be given something, to receive something in return for our faithfulness. You see, Jesus invokes rage when he says essentially this. Since the beginning, you have been deaf to God's word among you. You have shut out your own prophets when they attempted to share with you the unexpected work of God among you. In fact, you shut them out to the point where they went to other countries and cities to the only people who would listen, those who were sick, poor, and in shambles. They are ready for God's kingdom. They are ready for healing. But you, I fear, are not. No wonder the crowd in Nazareth got mad. It's likely in this scene that Jesus is one of the youngest people in the synagogue. There are people there that have been going for years. So many, for, for, for many of these people, Jesus is essentially slapping them in the face with the word of God. How dare you challenge my faithfulness, they thought. The crowd was not ready for this familiar face to proclaim the unfamiliar. They weren't ready for Jesus' ministry. A ministry that, like Isaiah said, would bring good news to the poor, would give release to the captives, would bring sight to the blind, and that would give freedom to the oppressed. They weren't ready to clear the space in their hearts for the good news of the inbreaking kingdom of God. A writer named Courtney Ellis, um, a good friend of Stephanie's, I hear, uh, just released a new book called Uncluttered about literally getting rid of clutter in our lives uh, at, to help kind of with this symptom of hoarding. She writes, anything that comes before God in our lives threatens not just our space and our schedule, but our very souls. Anything that comes before God in our lives threatens not just our space and our schedule, but our very souls. 
when we refuse to declutter our hearts, to make room for the unfamiliar and the unexpected, when we shut out the good news of the kingdom of God because it makes us uncomfortable, because it's unfamiliar, because it doesn't meet our expectations, what good are we doing? Imagine what we could do if we leaned into the unfamiliar and the unexpected. Earlier I asked you a question. What good news did you come to hear today? Did you come to hear the good news that you're a good person because you came to church today? Maybe. Did you come to hear the good news that Jesus calls us to lay back, relax, and watch Netflix until our eyes are dry and shot from looking at a screen for so long? I wish. Or did you come to hear the good news that the kingdom of God is here among us, calling us to the unexpected and the unfamiliar? Believe me, there are a lot of days that I would like to just stay in bed and watch Netflix and justify that as doing God's work in the world. And hear me loud and clear when I say, it's okay to lay in bed and watch Netflix sometimes. You got to take care of yourself. But at the end of our passage, we read, but he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. You see, the original Greek verb here implies a continuous action that Jesus was going on from this place. We often read that line like it's the last part of this story, like it's the end of this story. But that continuous action verb tells us that Jesus is going on to do exactly what God sent him to do. Jesus won't be stopped by the angry crowd. There was still more to do. It wasn't time yet. And let us not forget what happened on the previous episode of this dramatic soap opera. Jesus was given the Holy Spirit. And from this point on, it is clear that Jesus' ministry is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so then, are we? So like Jesus, we have been equipped and anointed to take the good news to the places and spaces of this broken world. See, we can watch Netflix or read the newspaper or do whatever it is that we do, but eventually we've got to get up, got to put our shoes on and get out there so that those who are unfamiliar with Jesus, those who aren't expecting to be loved, might experience the love of God through us. We know what the good news is, church, right? We can no longer keep it to ourselves. So our passage today, it invites us, or challenges us, depending on how you look at it, to do several things. First, it invites us to stop restricting the love and grace of God to how and where we see fit. To stop resisting God's purpose. Some of us do it without even realizing it, right? I do. If you've read the story of Jonah, he did it, although he kind of did it blatantly. But that's why we have the word of God. That's why we have Luke to remind us. One commentator wrote this. Jesus came announcing deliverance, but it wasn't a national deliverance. It wasn't just for Israel, or I would add America. It was God's promise of liberation for all the poor and oppressed, regardless of nationality, gender, status, or race. God's grace is never subject to the limitations and boundaries of any nation, church, group, or race. Amen? 
In other words, in the realm of Jesus, it is no longer us and them. It is only us. Second, this passage invites us to repent of our desire to have our needs met rather than participating in God's kingdom being established here and now. And last, Jesus is inviting us to be ready for the unfamiliar, to expect the unexpected, and heaven forbid, to step out of our comfort zone in order that we might bring the good news beyond these walls. The good news doesn't stop at the doors, church. And truth is, Jesus will not be stopped by our resistance. But what fun is it for us to just sit here and watch while the kingdom of God is being made known among us? Don't you want to be a part of that? I do. Dan Boone, um, one of my favorite authors, he writes this about this particular passage. The ministry of Jesus when fully understood, cuts into our comfort zone and asks us to go places we would never willingly choose to go. So then, church family, are you ready? Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to shape you into the person of Jesus? To stop trying to shape Jesus into our image? Are you ready for the Spirit to change the way you see things and do things? Are you ready for the unfamiliar and the unexpected? Um, I'm going to welcome the worship team back up. Um, And as they join me up here, I'm going to leave you with part of the 1 Corinthians passage that we read earlier. Um, But I'm going to read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message Translation. So would you listen closely to this? Love never dies. Inspired speech will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth, and what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, when Jesus arrives, our incompletes will be canceled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. A mist, sorry. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswervingly, and love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Um, Church, would you stand as we respond in singing together? Um, And I just just want to make it clear that these altars, the altars are very special to me. And you don't have to come up here to meet with God, but they are a special meeting place with God. So if you feel the need to respond, to say, God, I'm ready, these, these altars are open for you. You can pray where you are. That's fine. But can we sing together in response to this good news? Would you extend your hands to receive the benediction this morning? Church, may we be a people ready for the unfamiliar and the unexpected. A people empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the good news of Christ. The good news that the kingdom of God is here and continuing to break in. 
May we be a church that responds yes to the call of Jesus. Go in action and go in peace. Amen. Lord is